0: Pete, do you remember what you thought uh, the first time you saw the black and white teaser with the pink teddy bear?
1: You know, I I don't really. Um, we've talked about this a bunch of times, so I don't want to just keep repeating myself. But I, I, I obviously binged this season the first time I watched it. And it did catch my eye. Like, it seemed really interesting. But I didn't have that time in between episodes to, like, really think about what was going on there, you know, after it keeps showing up, I thought about it more, but I didn't have a lot of investment in trying to, I mean, I just figured it was, it was a harbinger that something bad was going to happen at the white house, you know, like something, something crazy, some kind of explosion, or, you know, obviously there was some kind of fire damage involved with, with the pink teddy bear. So I, I don't remember what I first thought other than, wow, this is interesting. And, um, I don't know. What did you think?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, very similar to your experience. I binged through this, so I didn't even have to wait to, you know, move on to the next episode right after this one. Um, Mm -hmm. But I remember, uh, you know, obviously being uh, shocked and nervous. But what I found surprising about this one is that we didn't get the answer at the end of the episode like we had In a previous episode. So this is a, a narrative strategy that they'd used in season one and that they continue to use throughout the series and also with a Better Call Saul. But this is like a, a long term um, foreshadowing where we don't really get the answer until much, much later. Um, so I, I obviously we see it's at the white house and we don't actually see any like plane debris. I don't think in this opening teaser, we no. just see the teddy bear and the eyeball, but you do hear the sirens growing louder and louder, um, the setting at the white house and, I was curious, like what what people thought when this actually aired real time, and I had to do some deep diving to, you know, go back to two thousand nine, try to find online where people were talking about it. And yeah,
1: because I did... that, that's, that is one of those things that I remember whenever I was going back and and seeing what people thought about the, you know, like when I was really into it and I wanted to find out. I, I remember coming across that idea that. People were disappointed with the reveal on that, that they were, they were really invested in what that might be. And they, they thought that that might be one of the, um, missteps that the show took, uh, to something that they, that they thought was, you know, otherwise a pretty perfect series.
0: You know, I think that's an interesting point because I, I think that that is always going to be the case where the longer the audience has to come up with theories about something. So we certainly saw that happen with like Better Call Saul and uh, the opening the season premiere um Openings with Jean and everything. And I know a lot of people were disappointed with the the Jean story arc, but also just the more time that you have to deliberate on things. And even also, again, in Better Call Saul, like with the the lab and the gun and Gus and, um, you know, everything that happened there. I know some people were disappointed at that reveal. A lot of us guessed that was what was going to happen. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't so much a surprise. But with this one, there was obviously no way anyone could guess what would happen. Absolutely but, um, going, not. <laughs> yeah. Going back to what I was uh, saying. So I, I did find some old, old, like ancient Reddit threads where people were talking about it. And a couple of people did say, well, you know, the title of this episode is 737. Maybe it has something to do with like the aircraft, uh, you know, but um, yeah. which was pretty good. You know, That that's mm-hmm. obviously it's right on on the nose. Um, most people uh, thought that it was, um, you know, obviously something to happen that happened with the whites. I think a lot of people saw the teddy bear and they associated it with the the baby um, that mm-hmm. Skylar is pregnant with. Um, again, uh, that's maybe something that that they even maybe misled us a little bit with. When I was rewatching this episode, the scene where Skylar is sitting in the nursery looking at old photos of uh, Ted Beneke, you see, um in the corner of the room, in the open closet, there's a stack of teddy bears, right so we're associating mm. teddy bears with with a holly with the baby um, yeah. and and things like that, perhaps. But uh, this led me into a deeper dive on the teddy bear and uh, the symbolism of the teddy bear. And the, uh, the teddy bear as a recurring motif and also the eyeball as a recurring motif throughout the series. And yeah, because I um, think
1: I think if, if I from what I read, it seemed like the eyeball was really the 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 the, the genesis of the idea for them. For everything that I read from Vince about it, it seemed like that eyeball was the initial idea that they wanted to have this, this object. And then I guess that, that connected to everything else after that. There
0: are a couple of things I wanted to, to point out. So um, in prepping for this episode, we we both listened to the Insider Podcast, and this is um, okay. with uh, Kelly Dixon. And this was actually the first episode that they covered on the Insider Podcast, so they started with Season 2, Episode 1. I'd never actually listened to any of the Insider Podcast uh, episodes on Breaking Bad prior to this, so it was brand new to me. Um, so it was really mm-hmm. interesting to, to go back and hear what they, they had to say about it. And I also watched the commentary that they do you know that they put on out on the dvds and uh stuff like that where you have the actors and like the director in this case it was just vince and the cast talking sometimes they have other people um um, chiming in so there were a couple things that stood out to me so um the bear itself is symbolic right and this is something that vince has said although he doesn't really know what it's symbolic for and he mentions this in his conversation with kelly that it's really up to the viewers to decide he wants there to be to be debate he wants um people to think about it and one of the the things that they did in this season is that uh when they were breaking this episode or writing this episode they spent like two or three weeks at the beginning um just talking about where they wanted this season to end up right so they actually spent a lot of time sort of mapping out like uh where they were going so they didn't necessarily know all the the stepping stones to get there but they had a pretty good idea of what was going to happen at the end of the season um which is a little different from what they had done with with other seasons right so like i think um of the final season where they open up with the machine gun and um we see like the walter white house like with you know owens has been abandoned and everything um they had no idea how they were going to get there for that one but they did Mm -hmm. tease you know that that ending at the beginning but this one seemed a little bit more um a little bit more mapped out and one thing i thought that that stood out to me wasn't just an interesting turn of phrase that Vince used when he was talking to Kelly is he said that god is in the details and um thinking specifically of the eyeball one of like the i guess the major like theories or ideas about it is that it is like this oh, this all knowing all seeing eye of god right it is the mm-hmm. judgment on on um walt and i did find this other quote from Vince Gilligan that I'll read um quickly. So he says the teddy bear eyeball that Walt found in his swimming pool is symbolic. It's very, very symbolic. However, I'm not sure I can tell you with a hundred percent certainty of what that symbolism is, what it represents. On the face of it, we were coming up with that eye as an image. It probably represented some form of the eye of the universe, the eye of God, uh the eye of morality. Um, I suppose judging Walter White and so uh, symbolism like the eyeball, I'm not sure what it means to me completely, but I'm always interested in hearing what it means to viewers of the show. I guess if you're going to hold my feet to the fire, uh, what it means to me is the eye of God on Waltz, right? And then mm-hmm. that raises the question of like, why does, why does he hang on to the eyeball? It's something that we see later on. In um in the series, and we also see the the teddy bear quite a bit, and some of them I didn't even notice. So Pete, you you pointed mm-hmm. one out to me where uh, he's naked in the um grocery store. They have and the pink the teddy bears.
1: State,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah I, I never noticed it, or if I did notice it, I didn't I didn't remember it. Um, but actually the the first time it appears is in a webisode that they released in February of two thousand nine, and this episode came out march 8th of 2009 so it came out just before the season premiere um they mm. did uh they actually made a music video uh for jesse's yeah. band uh twat hammer Jesse i think it's Badger, called
1: yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah
0: and at the end they have the pink teddy bear who's missing an eyeball although he's not burned so i thought that mm. was pretty interesting and he appears uh several other times um throughout the the series so there was another one i never noticed where he's like in a head te- in in a tree um
1: Wow. Oh yeah. I never, I never caught that one.
0: Yeah. So there's, there's a few, uh, and then of course the mural in, um, in Jane's room and, and things like that. And then the eyeball we see over and over again as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. I, I you, you mentioned that they, they had the whole season planned out and it was the only time they did that. I, I don't, I mean, I think that Vince said that it was difficult the way that they did it that then. And, you know, that's part of why they didn't do it. I think it also has to do with the, the turnaround time because in, in the insider podcast, they mention how they, it takes them, you know, 10 full days to break one episode or something like that. So if you think, you know, a 13 episode season, that's half a year, that you're not actually sh- filming or, or in post-production or anything else. You know what I mean? So I, I feel like that, that part of it was the, the S the setup of how things work that, you know, we don't often think about when we think about like, when's the next season going to come or whatever. But, um, it is interesting because that's sort of the thing that people say whenever they, whenever they criticize a TV show, uh, for not, not sticking the landing or not not bringing things together in a way is that that oh they didn't know where they were going and that's why it was such a problem what a choice of
0: words sticking the landing when it ends in a plane crash yeah (laughs) i mean wow
1: (laughs) yeah so um it it, i think it's it's interesting because you know for me uh you know i'm a fan of tv i'm not you know i'm not involved in I don't have a real understanding of how, how all of this works. You know what I mean? I, I I come from the the viewpoint of someone who consumes television as entertainment and really enjoy it, you know, and have thoughts about it. And, um, it's funny because you get all this shorthand of people criticizing things of like, well, if it's this way or it's that way, then it's, it's obviously going to be bad when the truth is that, you know, different, different, different things work for different shows and different things. And, um, I think you make a good point about how that's almost always going to be a letdown whenever you have a mystery this big. Mm-hmm. That's that's sort of where you were going with this, right? That you know, if 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 the fans have that much time to think about ideas, they're they're bound to come up with ones that they like better than than what actually happens in a way.
0: Yeah, so, sure. And I mean, that was certainly my experience with with Butter Call Saul. There were a lot of really great theories floated out there. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm well, I'm happy with the way it went. And I think they they did stick the landing there. I know a lot of people um, were were disappointed in a lot of ways. And I, I think that's true of any significant TV show. Right. Um, and also films, too. I think of like, a, like, like Inception comes to mind and people being upset with the end with the, mm-hmm. the spinning top and things like that. There, people are always going to be upset about about things like that, I guess. So um, just really quickly for all you uh, nerds out there who want to know exactly every episode where the pink bear appears, I do have a list in front of me. I was trying to look for it earlier. Um, The tree that I was mentioning before, that's actually in the final season. That's in Rabid Dog. When Jesse is getting into Hank's car, you can see a a pink teddy bear in a tree behind him. Um, You can also see it at the beginning of Phoenix laying um, behind the fence at the abandoned uh, motel just before uh, Walt speeds in where he's uh, going to stash the the money that he'd uh, gotten for Gus. And um, then, of course, in this season, in season two, we see the teddy bear in all these black and white opens um, in all the episodes that spell out the hidden meeting, hidden meaning in the mm-hmm. the season seven thirty seven. Then um, down, which is uh, episode four, over episode ten, and then ABQ, which is uh, the season finale, episode thirteen. And then uh, the eyeball, we see um, up through season four. So certainly in uh, season uh, three um he finds the the eyeball walt finds the eyeball in the pool and uh, the filter and he decides to keep it and then in um horse without a name or caballo sin nombre episode two uh that's when the cousins come in the salamanca cousins come in and they um they find it on the bed and then in uh season four box cutter skylar finds it in the drawer while she is searching walt's house when she fakes uh, an asthma attack to gain entry (laughs)
1: Yeah. I I really thought that was, regardless of anything else, I I think it's, it's mysterious and, and that's fun. Um, as long as you don't let it, as long as you don't let it hurt your feelings at the end, you know, and which is hard, I'm not, I'm not criticizing anyone who gets disappointed for that, but it, it is fun to try to guess at what, what's going on. And I did think that the, Though that that was really cool how the titles actually work to to tell you what's gonna happen uh, at the end of the season. Like I think that's fantastic.
0: Yeah, yeah, agreed. And I think the eyeball is is the first of many. I don't know if I would call it a MacGuffin necessarily, but this um technique, right, where like these objects seem to have significance, but they don't actually further the plot in any meaningful way. But I really do like what what Vince says about this being like the the eye of God, um, and that is the judgment um upon Walt, and we start to really really start to see some of the consequences of his actions. <laughs>
1: 737 $737, $737,000 That's what I need That is what I need
0: This is Growth Decay Transformation A Breaking Bad Rewatch podcast We're back I'm Courtney And I'm Pete and we're joined by our producer, uh, Talitha Barco. So today we will be talking about the season two uh, premiere 737, which is the only season premiere that was not written by Vince Gilligan. Uh, this one was written by Jay Roberts and directed by Walter White himself, Brian yeah. Cranston. So lots to say about this one. But before we get more into it, Pete, you want to summarize?
1: Yeah. So this episode has we just talked about the teaser a little bit it has this black and white teaser but it but the the episode proper starts exactly where season 1 left off actually they they show quite a bit of the the finale again just to kind of keep people i guess they weren't relying on the um you know the little opening teaser of like you know what happened in the first season or something like that to catch people up so they 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 show us you know the blue meth again and everything that that happened to remind us and, um, right after the drug deal, you know how Tuco had beat up Nodos, Walt and Jesse get back into the car, and while they're there, Walt starts to add numbers up in his head. He kind of quickly calculates how much money he thinks he needs, and it turns out to be seven hundred and thirty seven thousand dollars, and that is what we presume is where the episode title gets its name um. Tuco pulls back in and then demands that because Nodos is is going into convulsions. He's clearly dying and he demands that Walt saves him, which he can't do. Um, and then we see Gonzo stash the body under a stack of cars. And there's a little bit of foreshadowing there when, when it shifts, uh, at home, Walt tries to force himself on Skylar until she yells at him to stop. He sort of comes in. He's, he's in, he's spaced out. And, um, whenever he goes to her, he sort of, uh, gets excited. And then that goes badly, uh, for everyone involved. Jesse buys a gun and Marie keeps trying to get in touch with Skylar because she won't pick up when she calls and, you know, Skylar's still upset about the, the shoplifting and that she won't apologize. Hank and Gomez watch the surveillance footage where they see, um, them steal the methylamine and look pretty, pretty funny in the process. Outside of his house, when Walt's pulling into the driveway, he thinks he sees one of Tuco's henchmen parked down the street, and he gets paranoid. He's Jesse had already been getting paranoid. He bought the gun, and now Walt was getting on board with that, too. So he proposes to Jesse that they should try to poison him with ricin. Then we see Hank stopping at to talk to Skyler to try to get her to... Talk to Marie, and this sets her off and she has a pretty major breakdown and gets off a much needed rant in that process and then we see Hank call Walt to kind of cover that up or try to explain to him what he did and um we're see them they're they're built, they're making the the ricin at that time, and um he shoots them a photograph of the crime scene where he, where they see Gonzo and Nodos, And that makes Walt and Jesse think that Tuco is clean the house. He's gone to uh, kill all the witnesses, which would include them. So they go into a panic. Walt takes Jesse's gun and goes home and he finds Skylar in the bathtub, relaxing and wanting to have a conversation as they start to have that. He sees headlights pull up in the driveway, and when he goes outside, he finds Jesse's there, being held at gunpoint by Tuco, who demands that he gets in. So, what was your overall impressions about this, Courtney?
0: Yeah, wow. So this is a, a pretty solid season premiere, and while I was just listening to you um, do your your recap, Pete, I, it occurred to me like how like you you mentioned how they begin um, the episode proper by rehashing the end of the season one um premiere or finale sorry the season one finale and um they, they may have done that, not just to remind viewers, but I was also considering how like they actually ended up changing a lot of what happened in the story. Because remember, the writer's strike forced them to end early. So I was thinking as you were saying that, I was like, man, you know, I bet you if they knew this was the direction they were going, a better season one finale actually would have been ending like with Tuco coming back with no dose, and then watching him beat yeah. him to death. Because like, wow, that would have really stressed us all out <laughs> at the end of that
1: this is something we i guess we can get into it now quickly because what what this brings to mind to me is the the beginning of season 2 of better call saul also where they where they famously changed the direction that they were going to go with but J- jimmy driving away they did the exact same thing in better call saul and and i think you're right i think that that is is the is the case is that raymond cruz wasn't because of his other his other show that he was on he wasn't really into committing for the whole season of season two so they had to sort of deal with that like he also said that it was really difficult to play the character which Mm -hmm. meant that they had to to do that and i think that is absolutely correct that that um you know they the reason why they open it that way is because they did change the story and i also agree that you're right that that would have made a better ending if they would have had that that same cliffhanger at the end of the season instead of him just driving away
0: yeah, and and uh, bef- I'm going to tell you my impressions briefly <laughs> in in just yeah. a second. Um, but uh, one other thing, I just wanted to mention really quickly while you were talking about um, the sort of like for like. Uh- I guess opportunity or coincidence or like other things happening in the, in the real world that influenced the direction of the show. So you just mentioned Mm -hmm. Raymond Cruz, like having to um, I think he was on the closer. I think it was called the series and um, couldn't be available for some episodes. And then certainly when uh, 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 Bob Odenkirk wasn't available, um, they brought in Jonathan Banks as, um, as the cleaner uh, later this season. But Mm -hmm. um, also something that I learned watching the commentary was this was the last episode that they shot in Jesse's house because the homeowner at the time sold the house. So they no longer had access to this house. So that forced them to um, come up with this whole story, this whole plot with his parents. And them forcing him out sort of thing. And um, that reminded me of something we talked about last season, where I was like, wait a minute, how can he sell the house when he doesn't own it? And apparently they didn't know that this was going to be a (laughs) storyline. So they did what they, they had to do. Um, And uh, certainly, like, I I don't know, I I couldn't find anything to verify, like, whether they knew Jane was going to be a part of this story. I mean, obviously, like, they had an idea of what was going to happen at the end of the season. And we know by the end of the season that the plane crash um, at the beginning was caused by Jane's distraught dad, right, who is this air Mm -hmm. traffic controller. So I don't I wonder if like they they had that already in the cards, like an idea that Jesse is going to move into a new place where the girl next door is this love interest so again it's it's really fun to to think about all these things and how much um, real world events influence and and shape and and maneuver them in interesting ways take a break wander around in a fugue state we'll be right back tight 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 we're back with more gdt And interestingly, right now, as of uh, today, or um, May 3rd, when we're recording this, there is another writer's strike happening right now.
1: Yeah.
0: And Mm -hmm. um, Vince Gilligan is currently writing his new TV show starring Ray Seahorn. So I was, I couldn't help but wonder, like, I wonder if this is going to influence or change the way they go about writing that show. But okay, we're way off, uh, (laughs) way off um, uh, topic here. So let me, let me go back here. I'll be brief. So, um. I already mentioned the cold open, right? And it's a, a cold open that foreshadows events that happened not just uh, later in this uh, season, but it's also the first time that we see it of uh, uh, foreshadow something more than just what happens at the end of an episode. So, yeah. But there are a lot of epi- uh, moments of foreshadowing in this episode, some that I never caught before previously, like the um, Better Call Saul commercial that yeah. uh, Walt sees. I never noticed that before.
1: Yeah, um, me maybe neither.
0: Yeah, maybe I'm dumb, but <laughs> it was really cool to actually go back. I'm like, no way, there's Saul this early. Um, and I think uh, thematically, this is uh, an episode that really explores the consequences of the choices that the characters make. Of course, like a lot of the episodes do that, right? That's not necessarily novel. Yeah. Um, but we really start to see, um, how did Vince Gilligan put it? He said... Um, the, I think it was either in the podcast with Kelly or in the commentary. I, I don't remember which because I watched them both closely together. But he said that he wanted Walt to never be able to get ahead. It's always like one step forward, two steps back. So it seems like things are going to start moving in in a way that that benefits him. Things are looking rosy. But then because he's doing such horrible things, right, like crime doesn't pay, you know, sort of thing is, mm-hmm. is the message that keeps uh, um, coming back. So. I think another thing that really stood out to me about this episode is communication or the lack of communication and how that really erodes uh, trust among the the family members. So we'll, I'll have a lot more to say about this when we get into it. I've jammered on long enough. What did you think, Pete?
1: Well, I mean, it's exciting that that we're getting into the second season finally. And um, one the big thing that jumped out at me right from the beginning was that there is a noticeable increase in quality across the board. Um, it's sort of like season one was cinematic compared to other TV shows at that time. While season two is just flat out cinematic, you know what I mean? They're not, it's, it, it's not just in, in relation to other TV shows. It just looks amazing. And, um, it's not that they fundamentally changed anything. It's still the same show, but everything is just a little bit better. And this is something that continues throughout the series. I think they constantly improve as they go, and you know, things they get better at what they're doing. They have uh, more more leeway to to really do things. They know what works. But um, I think, in a way, that this feels like the first episode that looks like Breaking Bad the way I remembered it. Um, I, I think season one was great. I think that they did a lot. Of, of really great stuff with you know limited uh resources and it's kind of in a way like you know we talked about a lot when we went through there it's kind of like a, a you know this really great performance of brian cranston with all this other stuff around him um you know that's what really stands out is 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 the character of walt and there's so much there's like in seeing this first episode and and really looking at it closely, there's a lot of different stuff that, that jumps out and it is exciting. You know what I mean? Um, there's big improvements in the way that Hank is portrayed how he fits into the story. Uh, you see a small shift in the POV that goes away from Walt a little bit towards Skylar and you know, this teaser that you mentioned, and I'm sure that we'll get into even more in a little while you know, it, it was a, it, it, it does, it, it promises something in a way that like, this is a, you know, it's a different way to set up the season. And that's exciting because they're, you know, they're not, they didn't say, okay, well, we, we, we had some, some real, you know, that we had, we had a surprising amount of success with the first season. So we don't want to, we don't want to change anything up. We want to just stick to what we know. You know, I think that, that there just shows that there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of promise in the way that they're, they're putting things together. And, you know, there's just two things more to say about that before we get into the actual thing. And the, you just mentioned before about you didn't hear the better call Saul thing, I didn't either, but I never even thought of the fact that this is in black and white and it, and it shifts the color mm-hmm. and how, and you know what I mean? Like I never made the connection between that and the gene scenes in better call Saul. Um, which is, is like I said, it, maybe I'm a little bit dim too there. Uh, and second, the the thing that was crazy to me when I watched it this time was how the sound design worked and how that really, like, they really use that in a way that you don't necessarily think of, like, I don't think of anyways when I think of TV, you know, it, it's sort of a an afterthought in a way. And so like I you know it really stood out to me the way that the sound comes in with those there's just almost like still shots of like um you know the 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 thing hanging in the backyard the the wind chime and the uh slug on the wall all these different things and um I, it made me really pay attention to to that throughout the episode and it and it's impressive you know I hadn't realized what an integral part of the show that was the sound design so that's something i'm looking forward to exploring throughout the rest of the series that's a lot but i mean i guess that's that's kind of where i'm at is there more that we need to say about the cold open do you think
0: well just one other thing about it is um that the importance of objects right and so i i kind of already talked a little bit about this like both the bear and the aya's motifs but also like other objects in the show so i was thinking back to how um the series began, the pilot opened and we see the pair of khakis floating in the wind. Yeah. And then here we get the the eyeball um turns over. And uh Brian Cranston actually talked about how they they shot that. And it, they had the eyeball on microfilaments and they had people like pulling it so that it would turn over at just the right spot. And they actually had um a scuba team underwater doing the photography of the bear that they had weighted down with um with a sandbag. So but you were just talking about like the snail on the wall, the wind chimes and things like that. So there's attention to to these details I think is, again, um, part of the visual language of the show that you were you were talking about, that mm-hmm. this really feels like a Breaking Bad episode. And um, also with a Better Call Saul, one of the strategies that they did here was with black and white is forecasting the future, right? So usually yeah. when shows or movies use black and white, it's to show the past. But in this case, they use it to show what happens in the future, which I think is, is a an interesting strategy. It's not something that they continued with because like at the end of um, the series... When they do that uh, opening teaser or opening scene with um with a uh, Walt going home at the beginning of season five, that's in color, I believe. I could be remembering that wrong, pretty sure it's in color when he walks in and yeah. um, the kids are skating in the pool and stuff like that and he goes and uh, retrieves the the ricin, which is another thing I wanted to to talk about. So the ricin, um and thinking about uh objects and importance. So one thing that they do at one point is there's this close up of of uh, Marie putting Splenda into her coffee like Mm -hmm. she uses like six packets oh my gosh it's so gross (laughs) no offense to anyone out there who uses like six packets of Splenda but you know I thought that was a, a a cute little character um quirk that they they worked in there but uh she's pouring in those packets of Splenda and you know, in, in another scene, um, it actually may have been the scene right before it, that's when Walt and Jesse are talking about um, processing the ricin, right, and how they can, mm-hmm. they can make ricin out of beans. So I was wondering if that was something that they discussed as a potential delivery device for, for Tuco. We know that in later, um, you know, I think it's the next yes. episode it, where they, they decide to put uh, it in the burger that, that Wendy um, will uh, give to him, right?
1: Yeah. Well, ultimately, they, they I mean, ultimately, that's the way they get lead. That's the way he gets. Yeah, Lydia, yeah. Yeah. Right.
0: Well, yeah, that's what I was getting at. Right. So I was wondering mm-hmm. if that was something that they had deliberated in their writer's room and then they tabled it because they liked the idea and came back to it later. Mm-hmm. But again, those, those sorts of uh, attention to detail. And, and another thing that, um, p- speaking of the teddy bear that people like to point out is how the side of the teddy bear's face that is burned and the eyeball that is missing, of course, uh, foreshadows uh, what happens to Gus um, at the mm-hmm. end of uh, season four. So uh, I, I know you mentioned this, Pete, that Vince, you read somewhere or heard somewhere that Vince Gilligan said that that wasn't the intention. Yeah. Or they? I mean, obviously, they didn't even have Gus. Gus didn't exist yet.
1: <laughs> yeah, at this point, and they, and they certainly the didn't know how he, they. They didn't even know how he died at the beginning of when they started shooting. You know, the season where he does die. You know, what I mean, like they yeah. they were writing it as they were. They knew that there was going to be a showdown and something was going to happen, but they were already filming that season before. Um, before they had it completely, fi- you know, figured out on how he would die. So. Yeah, I mean, I think there's the 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 way that I took it was that this is the something that that fans jumped on right away because they were like, oh, that looks like, and I've even seen people say, well, it's like Eladio, too because Eladio died in a pool or whatever. Yeah, but um. You know, I I, I'm sure that someone made the connection, you know, that that it was there. But from what Vince said, it wasn't something they took into consideration when they they were thinking about, like, how Gus would look when he walked out of there or or how that would play out. It was more of a it was a it was a more of a just a happy circumstance based on the way they wanted to shoot it, you know, like that he had to come out. That side and and turn that way and or whatever because of the the shots and the way that the you know the th- they set the the scene up.
0: Yeah, that's interesting about like Alario dying in the pool, but also Max, right? So Gus's no. um, partner dying in the pool. Pools are really important in both series. But something that occurred to me later um, watching Breaking Bad. I don't know if it was my first watch through or like my second or third watch through. It's hard to keep track of when these things occur to you. But um, when Skyler walks into the pool. Um, you know, she she already yeah. knows what Walt is up to and she's you know not coping so well. Um hmm. that kind of reminded me of, of of the teddy bear. And I know one of the the popular theories about the teddy bear is this loss of innocence. And I mean that's pretty obvious, right? Like, I mean, presumably the teddy bear belonged to a child aboard the wayfarer flight that crashed um as yeah. as a result of Walt's uh uh you know actions, right? It's an indirect Um, thing but it's like it's like a domino effect right like he does he decides to make meth and then ultimately that uh leads to this uh this this thing happening this horrible thing happening and i can't wait till we get to uh the episode where he's in the auditorium talking with the students um when <laughs> when carmen asks him to say a couple words and he's trying to like downplay like just how awful yeah. and the severity of it he's like you know it's not even really the worst plane crash ever <laughs> so yeah. the way he tries to to rationalize and that's something that um that uh vince i uh talked about in uh I think with Kelly um in the the Insider podcast he was talking about how he when he originally set out to to write the series he thought of this as a good guy who just makes one bad choice right but then mm-hmm. at some point like around this point he's like no actually like we have to make it go further he has to decide he likes making these bad choices that he's getting off on it he he likes it and um he actually used that phrase he likes it um, yeah. when in, in the podcast. And, and so that, that really stood out to me. Cause that's something, I mean, we've been, we've been talking about since we, we began this and it's something that, that Vince has talked about like ad nauseum.
1: Um, yeah. I was, I was really surprised at that considering it is the first episode of, of the podcast, which, um, I didn't, I mean, like the insider podcast was such a big part of better call Saul. Mm-hmm. But I, I can't really... You mentioned you weren't sure if you listened to it. I, I did listen to it for Breaking Bad, but I'm not sure when I became aware of its existence. You know what I mean? Like, it couldn't have been until at least season four, but it might not have been until till the last one. You know what I mean? Because I just... I wasn't really talking about the show with anybody until that point. You know what I mean? Like, I was just sort of watching it, you know? And maybe I knew some people who, who had also seen it or whatever, but it wasn't like that weekly talk to everybody you know about what's going to happen next until until we got into like season four and and really in season five is where that really took off. But um, yeah, I I brought that up in in one of of the things we were talking about, you know, off air was that it it sounds to me like he he kind of he kind of got the the feedback that that people really like this character, Walter White, and they were really rooting for him. And that he might be wanting to, right from that first episode of the Insider podcast, uh, you know, temper people's expectations about like what was going on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Like he's actually
0: a bad guy at this. point. he's making harm. Yeah, like
1: he. Yeah, he explicitly says like this is a show about turning a good guy into a bad guy, which you kind of knew. I mean, that was his pitch—the whole Mister Chips and the Scarface thing or whatever. But like, um, you know, the way that it came off. And 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 as you pointed out, like he he that that specific thing that he added there, and then we we talked about a lot when Jim was on when we were watching um, doing gray matter, um, the idea that he had an out and he had mm-hmm. a he had a he, he there's something more to it that that keeps him in it you know like that's that's there but you really don't discover that until much much later at least I didn't when the first time I watched it so. Um yeah
0: well certainly with I think with Jane right and this yeah. this uh, episode really foreshadows the devastation that he has wrought with um with all of the the choices that that he ends up making um from from here on out and um a lot of interesting stuff happening in that relationship with Jesse right where Jesse is like the more rational, logical person about like uh dealing with someone like Tuco, like what did you expect would happen? And yeah. um so like when when uh Jesse's still laid up in the hospital recovering after Tuco beats him up, he's horrified to realize that that uh Walt has struck a deal with this guy. He's like, are you out of your mind? You know? Yeah. And um they they have a lot of that fun banter again in this episode, right? Where they're talking about conjecture, right? And and uh mm-hmm. Jesse has some really great lines in this one. One um, my favorite lines in this uh, episode and I'm going to say it here because I'm not going to give you like a long list at the end Pete like I always do (laughs) when we do the favorite line um, favorite shot Um, Is when he's like, are you basing that on the fact that he has like a normal healthy brain or something, you know, (laughs) so like uh, when they're talking about they're trying to figure out like what Tuco's intentions might be and how he might uh, he might react. So there's there's a lot of humor in this episode and there's um, some great humor with um, with Hank and with Gomi. Gomi has some really great lines in this one, too. And it's it's a it's a dark episode. um, And it, it becomes even darker in hindsight when you realize like what that opening uh, scene means and, and uh, just how awful it really is and where this is, what the trajectory is at this point.
1: Yeah. One of the things that, that uh, not necessarily just this time when I rewatched it, but whenever, you know, when I have rewatched it in the past too, was, was how quick the Tuco story sort of materializes and wraps up, you know, like it's, Um, We mentioned already that it has something to do with Raymond Cruz not being able to continue as the character, but you know, he—I think it's interesting to think about how much of a presence this character has because he kind of looms over the whole beginning of the series, but he's only in a couple of episodes.
0: Yeah, yeah, and. You know, when I was doing um, the research on the the opening uh, or on this, like, what people thought about the opening and where it might be going, um, a lot of what I found was, like, stuff uh, people had written, like, in reviews, like, you know, after kind of knowing where everything was going at yeah. this point, and one of the biggest uh, gripes or complaints was how quickly they they rushed the the to go like they close out this this storyline. And um, but it, I mean, to your point, it's not really something that they could control. Like the actor had other obligations, and and they did what they could do. I think.
1: Yeah, but I I, I,
0: I don't know. I, I'm satisfied with it. I don't remember being disappointed with how they handle the the two goes um story
1: no i i didn't either i i thought it was it was super intense like my whole point here is that i thought it lasted much longer because it it's just like it makes a huge impression you know like i i don't remember thinking like oh i want this guy to be around longer necessarily I, you know i was i was i was you know rooting for, for Walt and Jesse to, to get that 737,000 and walk away from the drug game forever. Like that would have been fine with me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But it was never going to (laughs) end, never going to end that way.
1: (laughs) Yeah. That's of course.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So no, it's it's just interesting that that I was just remarking on how it's interesting that that's your your take when it seems like so many other people were were annoyed by by what they thought was a rapid wrap up and I I didn't I'm I'm more of uh I share your opinion on this I I think they they handled it it handled it well and plus like then we get Gus after this I mean
1: yeah and Gus is a he's the kind of character that you can have around a lot longer you know what I mean like to me when I yeah. you know and of course so some of this is with hindsight because i mean they did actually plan on making Tuco have a lot longer of a story but like I, to me he's like an immovable object that like they have to get rid of you know what i mean like there's no they're, they're they're just so out of their league at this point and um it just i don't know like i don't know how you keep that up for 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 too long i mean you could you could obviously have other stuff happen and and they, it just, you know, but I, I, I feel like that as soon as you meet Tuco, you know that inevitably he's going to have, he's not going to be able to be someone you can work with in the long term, right?
0: Yeah, definitely, and that's something I really appreciate that they return to or explore further in, in Better Call Saul, um, right? And so, like, how they were able again because the actor. um, didn't want to keep doing it or his wife didn't want him to keep doing it. He doesn't like the character who would, he's awful. Right. Um, He may have had other commitments or something like that, but he did come back for better call Saul. But again, they had to figure out how they could get rid of him. And um, so they had him get arrested. Right. And that, that got him um, out of the storyline. And then of course uh, they were able to then bring in Lalo. Right. So like Tuco's exit (laughs) always Mm -hmm. seems to bring in another really great villain. Yeah. And
1: he, I mean, he's, he's an amazing, the, the, the performance is so physical. It's crazy. Like, you know what I mean? Like he's doing this and I think it works really well in the background there because this is like super pure methamphetamine. Like it's a, Mm -hmm. it's a nasty, nasty drug. Right. And they're, they're introducing a version of it that nobody's really had access to before if you think about like you know the in in world like what what's happening and um you give it to this really unhinged guy in the first place and then like i mean just think about the like the the, the what he does like as he's going through this just one like one minute scene here or like, you know, whenever he brings out, one of the things that jumped out at me on the rewatch was the way he drops, no, his body after he pulls him oh, out yeah. of the car. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's holding a grown man up. Like he's a, like he's a piece of paper or something, you know what I mean? he just drops him Like it, it's nothing. I mean, all of that is very physical, you know? Yeah,
0: it is. And, and speaking of that scenes, uh, of when I was watching the commentary, um, uh, Vince asked Brian how they how they did that, and apparently they had the actor who played Nose Doz wearing like um like a metal like corset almost right uh, that would protect all his vital organs because they really dropped him. Yeah, and um, it's clear they, they, managed, they did. <laughs> Yeah, they managed not to injure him in this one, but uh they did. Uh, um, Anna Gunn who plays Skylar got got pretty seriously hurt while uh filming this um this episode and they talked about the rape scene and that's how Brian Cranston described it um when he mm-hmm. comes back after he's left the junkyard with Jesse they've just witnessed uh you know Tuco murder no dose beat him to death and um so he's all shaken up and he walks into the kitchen and uh he fi- or yeah he walks into the kitchen and then Skyler's in the back um, putting on her lotion and stuff and another thing i didn't know um by the way is that close-up of the pregnant belly is actually a real pregnant belly it's not anna guns but it's betsy Brandt who plays marie who was yeah. pregnant for the entirety of of season two which i had no idea talk about the the magic of filmmaking They, she said that they hit her behind a lot of bags and stuff like that yeah um, I,
1: I, once i re- read that whenever i was doing my research for this i noticed it's pretty noticeable the way that they shoot her, you know, but like, yeah, I never knew that before. I I, I never no knew
0: it. So I'm going to be paying attention going forward uh, to to see because um, I never noticed they they hit it. They handled that really, really well. And interestingly, yeah, for just a, it's not for, the... for a
1: quick, quick reference. If you go back and watch the one where she's talking on the phone, it's it's, it's super obvious, like the way that that whole scene is set up, how they're trying to. Make her look natural doing whatever she's doing, but not not see her her whole profile of what what she looks like.
0: Yeah. And it wouldn't be the it's not the first time that Vince Gilligan had to find out ways uh, to write around a pregnant actress. So for the X-Files geeks out there, you'll know that Gillian Anderson um, fell pregnant pretty early on in the in the series. Um, And so that's when she gets abducted by aliens. So because they had to write her out while she gave birth. Right. Yeah. Um, so they had to figure out a, a reason for why she wouldn't be in, in the, the series. But going back to that that scene, right, that scene where where um Skylar comes out and she's got the green mud mask on and oh. she's like, where have you been? And Walt is shaken to his core. And I thought the the. The way Bryan Cranston described it when he was talking about it over the, the commentary was that they they spent a lot of time thinking about how best to handle this because it is such an awful, horrible scene and he wanted to bring some humanity to the character, right? It's a terrible thing. He, he Bryan Cranston calls it the rape scene, right? But mm-hmm. to, to really understand Walt's point of view is that there's this horrible, awful thing that has just happened and he's looking for comfort. He's seeking reassurance. He can't tell her what he's been up to. And then she's like, Where have you been? And he, it's, it's, he didn't say this, but the, I've always interpreted like the sort of arousal and the sex is like he's kind of getting off on things. But, um, but, uh, Brian said it like he's, it's, he's, it's misplaced, just overwrought feelings, right? Like it just turns into, into this, uh, this arousal. But anyway, um, what I wanted to say about this is this is when uh, Anna Gunn actually got hurt. So they blocked it out. So they planned like how they were going to move around the kitchen and what they were going to do. But they didn't actually rehearse it before filming because they wanted it to feel more raw and rough. And um, they they did uh, three different takes. And in one of the takes, he uh, pushed her so hard that she actually hit her head really hard. Um, unfortunately, she was fine. But, you know, it, it's just uh, method acting, right?
1: Yeah. Well, I, well, you know, I taught. I said how I was um was really paying attention to the sound and the there's a there's an awful sound there whenever she whenever she hits the um refrigerator. Yeah. It's really it's really a thing. But one of the things, you know, to go back a little bit about like the actual what's going through Walt's head in this in this sequence um I wrote down in my notes that um you know it. It the way that you you kind of watch like he's he's there. He's he's completely. You hear that sound that that um the
0: tinnitus sound. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah that you saw in, in when he was with the doctor, um, you know, finding out about his cancer, and you know he you know that he's he's somewhere else. And so you you know like I was kind of trying to think about like where how you know how does that work? And to me, it, it like my interpretation of it was that he's has all these feelings about what's going on that he just yeah. can't, he can't have, you know what I mean? Like he can't sit with the feeling. So he has to turn it outward, you know, and he's got also got the problem of like his wife wants to know where he is, where he was, and he can't tell her and, and all the things that you mentioned there. And, and then I think it's, you know, where it's really effective is, you know, well one, it, 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 um, it escalates things, you know, before, we saw this obviously in the first season where they you know they're having sex in the Aztec outside the the uh But also high, in the pilot
0: school. right when um yeah, at the yeah. end where she asks where he's been and that's how he silences her he comes right, up behind right her and starts kissing her but yeah to your point I I read it this scene very much the same way right like I don't actually think he was turned on by what just happened to him um it's but that's I think for him, the arousal is just the uh, again, like not being able to process the emotions that he's feeling, whether they're positive or negative, in this case negative, yeah. right? Uh yeah, it's because a traumatic they, experience.
1: Because they 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 did present it that way. They presented that yeah. he has this sexual spark that he didn't have before. I mean, they reference it several times, you know what I mean? Like in the in the doctor's office and things like that. Like it, it's something that's waking up inside of him. Right. You know, that, that had maybe died down a little bit before. And so, yeah. So, um, you know, it, I just think it, 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 where it, you know, it, it works to show the escalation of, of what his, you know, his actions are like it, that it's violent. You know, this is an escalation of of, of violence basically, you know what I mean? But then also how what he does transfers into, you know, like if you if you can't if you can't sit with the feeling, if you can't deal with it. And so you you turn that outward, you know, it, there's going to be cascading effects, which is sort of like what the whole teaser and how that plays out at the end of the season with the plane crash. You know what I mean? Like um, it really sets that up, which, uh, you know, it's what a season um premiere should do is set up what we're going to see with throughout the season without telling us that right and i think you kind of kind of see that with all that stuff together
0: yeah definitely definitely
1: you're listening to growth decay transformation we'll be right back let's get cooking we're back with more growth decay transformation
0: so you you were just talking about violence, right? And that was again um, something that really stood out to me in in this in this uh, episode. So there's a lot of violence in the series as a whole, but in this one we see <laughs> varying <a> <laughs> de- yeah we see varying degrees of violence, right? So um, the teddy bear being burned is you know obviously symbolic of some sort of violence being visited upon that poor little pink teddy bear. Um, yeah, there is that rape happened. scene. Yeah, something mm-hmm. bad happened there. Um, he's that that bear has been enucleated. Um, there's the scene where Walt uh, tries to sexually assault Skyler. Um, the fact that they're trying to pre- process ricin to poison someone again, um, and mm-hmm. again, that it's sort of couched in like like you can understand Walt's point of view here, and like well, it's it's us or him, and that's a line that Jesse even says in in this episode, right? Like this is a matter of self preservation. Um, but it's still like, you know, <laughs> using chemistry, using his science to to commit this this horrible crime, they, they're they planning to kill someone. Um, but also to a much uh, to a much lesser degree is the violence of Marie running over that kid's remote control car, when again, she's trying to avoid that conversation with uh, Hank, because there's that breakdown in communication with Skylar. Skylar won't answer her phone calls, return her phone calls. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I was thinking about some of the the uh, the similarities between Walt and Marie, right? And we talked a little bit about this already. Like, um, Marie obviously does not do anything anywhere near as bad as what Walt does, but with her kleptomania and some of, like, how she rationalizes her behavior, that she lies, right? She lies to Hank in this one about... Forgetting when the the doctor's appointment is her therapist appointment, Dave. But um, yeah, there was another thing that stood out to me when again thinking of that Splenda scene in her purple coffee travel mug. It's uh, from her business. She's a, a radio- radiologist radiographer, and mm-hmm. uh, I think the name of the 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 um. The office is Kleiman's, and so it's got like this little dancing skeleton, and it says Kleiman's. We see right through you, and I thought that we see right through you again is like kind of like that's the eyeball, right? So it's uh, this this eye of God is seeing what everyone is is doing, right? So there is this. Uh, I don't know if you want to think of it as as a, a moral judgment or something like that. It it could also even be like the eye of the viewer. Who knows what it really means. But I just th- I thought that was an interesting choice. Of course, like we see right through you is to to indicate an X-ray. That's why the skeleton is there. But I was thinking of it also and how it turned how that relates to the eye of of the teddy bear and this this um eye of God, maybe.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting about intent, too, because when Marie runs over the kids remote control car, she does that absolutely on purpose.
0: You oh yeah, she I mean? does. Like
1: that it's not like uh it might have been a thing that happens in the in the moment, you know what I mean? Like the the opportunity presents itself, but like she was annoyed by what was happening. She was annoyed by this little kid being there driving the car around and so she mm-hmm. <laughs> ran it over. And yeah. like that's actually pretty violent itself, you know? Like it's yeah. not it's not in the way that, you know, tuco kills Nodos or whatever, but like it 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 is it is an act of violence.
0: Yeah. And talk about God being in the details. I don't know if you noticed um, when the they're outside talking, Marie and Hank are talking, and the kid drives his remote control car right up to them. Um, she lifts her foot, right, so that it won't hit her. And then uh, Hank turns it around and the kid apologizes. But did you notice the shoes that she's wearing? She's wearing high heels. There are two-tone yeah. black and white high heels. But if if you'll recall, this again, like just again, this attention to detail that these these writers and the thought that they put into it is is so rich for, for people paying close attention. You'll recall uh-huh. that in the previous season, um, she's wearing these white shoes that she hates, that she thinks makes her look like she works in like a nursing home or something like that. And then that's when we first see her steal when she goes into that shoe store and she um, Trades out a pair of heels for those sneakers. Now these aren't the same shoes, but presumably, maybe this is another pair that she she lifted. So, or at least it's meant to recall that moment, right? Like if you're paying attention, you're like, oh yeah, she Mm -hmm. steals high heels and she doesn't wear her, or she she stole a pair of high heels at some point and isn't wearing her her nursing shoes anymore. So, again, we're being reminded visually of of her crime, and of course that's something they're talking about. Uh, the the kleptomania thing and that's why she's in therapy to begin with so I just I love the details in this show like it really rewards you for paying really close attention
1: absolutely Um, one thing that I wanted to before we get too far into what happens at the end one thing that I you know we were we kind of touched on a little bit but then we're talking about the how it all went wrong in the um, in the kitchen scene but uh, you know one of the things about this episode that it continues to do is it, it, it continues to make Walt, uh, relatable, which, you know, is the thing that, um, makes it all work so well, I think. And, and that, that there was the one scene when they're in the car and they're talking about the money and, you know, you're trying to put it together. Like, why is he, what's he, what's he going for? You know? and you and you know, like you mentioned earlier, that he's that it'll never work, you'll never get to that number, and you'll never walk mm-hmm. away uh it just things don't don't develop like that, but you can totally understand trying to make it you know like when he says it's eleven weeks, it's doable, definitely doable, and you know you you have you have jesse there who who is obviously not interested but he can be convinced that yeah you know what that is 11 weeks is kind of doable i i I could see that you know um i i think that it's like it gets harder and harder to overlook the bad stuff that happens but all of that stuff still works you know what i mean at this point like it it you can you can see that it's that you even though you know kind of that he's misguided by now that he, you know he's he's doing it for for something a little bit more than just uh you know leaving the nest egg behind you can still follow the character where he goes based on like how you might uh you know find yourself justifying something that you don't want to do you know like marie doesn't want to go to doesn't want to go to to therapy, therapy. because it's uncomfortable yeah. And so she has her own ways of doing that, and the stakes are much lower in some ways, but like it they're both human in that same way right
0: yeah they are they are and and when you were just uh talking about like um and we talked a little bit about this earlier too about um i just wanted to go back to this point with walt and trying to figure out calculate exactly how much money he needs to be able to get out of this cleanly right and then of course like we see that he makes well beyond this amount and he keeps going <laughs> yeah, um absolutely. so it's no longer about the money and I was just thinking of um this is a, a scene from better call saul um in the the final uh, season where uh they're uh trying to uh, steal the keys uh he, uh jimmy and kim let me use my pronouns here <laughs> so jimmy and kim decide that they're gonna run this um scam on howard and so they're gonna steal his uh keys to his jaguar and um you know so that way he can steal his car for this this plot that they're gonna do anyway he, this is when uh, they bring in huell right who is this famous pickpocket we learn in, in breaking bad and uh uh, just to preface this this scene that I'm going to talk about, uh, they're sitting in the car. Huell and Jimmy are after. Uh, they've copied Howard's uh, car key, and Huel says to him, "You're a lawyer, right?" And he's like, "You make like good money, legit yeah. money. So why are you doing all this?" And um, Jimmy doesn't really have an answer for it, but it's 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 the same thing. I think that ends up motivating waltz right and driving yeah. waltz and uh the, the characters are, are often really good at, at deluding themselves but um i would say actually not to talk too much about better call Saul, but i would say that jimmy seems to have more of a sense of actually who he is um and what drives him but some other characters like like him, like waltz uh still tend to think of themselves as like you know the man and the woman in the white hat they think of themselves as fundamentally mm-hmm. good people that's another debate um entirely but it it's hard not to see the, the parallels between a lot of these characters and these these storylines
1: Yeah and and you know I just think that whenever you think about the the big picture of of who he is and and like what he can actually take credit for I guess in a way you know the the reality of seeing and I guess you touched on this earlier but the reality of seeing Tuco kill Nodos and in I mean, that could have been, that could have easily have, he did, he beat Jesse down in the same way, you know what I mean? Like it could have, he could have easily killed Jesse in that same way. I mean, the, the whole thing, you know, there's, there's a lot of implications in that and they're all in direct contrast to the plan, but he still can't really see a way out of going forward until, you know things develop in this episode to where he thinks that he's really going to be killed as, as, as a result of, uh, you know, seeing that happen.
0: Yeah. And, and speaking of misdirection, right, this episode does quite, uh, quite a bit of that. So um, I mentioned a little bit earlier that this uh, one of my biggest takeaways of this episode was the the um, idea of communication and miscommunication. So uh, just to recap really quickly, like we have Skylar not talking to Marie, which then makes Marie moody and not talking to Hank. And that's why Hank goes to Skylar and he says mm-hmm. she's barely talking to me. I'm here for out of self-preservation. Um, Walter won't talk to Skyler. He's not forthcoming. He can't be. And uh, we also get the miscommunication between Hank and Walt, which sets this very thing into motion. Right. Mm -hmm. So by sending the photo, when Hank sends the photo of the crime scene where Gonzo is dead at the junkyard with no does. Right. And they um, they immediately assume that that uh, Tuco wasted both of them. that, that puts things into to, to motion there. And something that Vince Gilligan noted in the commentary on this episode was when, when uh, Walt pulls into his driveway and he sees that black SUV down the street. Right. Um, It's if you'll remember when he first talks to Jesse earlier on in the episode, Jesse saying that he sees this black Cadillac falling like down his street. He's getting dead, uh, you know, phone calls in the middle of the night that are dead air hang up sorts of things. So that that idea is already planted there. And they've already talked a little bit about like um, the threats of Tuco or the potential threat of Tuco. And what does it mean when he says you're done? Right. Um, But what Vince said about that, actually, is that that's not one of Tuco's guys on Walt Street. Like, that was meant to just be a coincidence. Now, that's not something that's ever, you know, explained to us in the TV show. Um, Mm. And it's really open to interpretation, perhaps. Uh, You know, I don't know if, like, the the intention was, like, they were watching Jesse or not. But he did uh, specify that that was not the intention, at least for the car outside of of uh, walt's house which i thought was was interesting but again like this um they're reacting uh because they have to in this case because they did see what just happened to nodos and now they are afraid that he killed gonzo and um what what would you do in that situation i think this episode again Raises that question for the, for the viewer, and one of the reasons why perhaps many people are still on Walt's side is because, like you, you imagine yourself doing something similar similar in the same situation, right? This is self preservation; yeah. they have to protect themselves.
1: And there's so much interesting stuff in the in the setup there too, because when Jesse's talking about it, when he's talking about the phone calls and the, um, you know, seeing someone driving through the neighborhood, you wonder if like. Because of the way the character's been developed, you wonder, like, is he just being paranoid? You know, like you don't really trust mm-hmm. Jesse, you know, because you think, yeah, he's well, maybe nuthead. he was smoking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe he was smoking, <laughs> maybe he was seeing stuff. I mean, he saw the the uh the bikers showing up at his front door when that was really Mormons and all that kind of stuff. So it it does say a lot about how they develop these two characters that even though he's telling, even though he has legitimate concerns, he's saying them to Walt and Walt, of course Walt doesn't really pay that much attention to him because he knows he's, uh, you know, he's unreliable, um, in, in that way. Uh, but then also you have Hank and, in, and, and Gomi watching the, the thing and, coming up with the idea of like, you know, they, they got book learning, but no st- street smarts or street skills or however they say it. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so, we, you know, you're, they, they call attention to the idea of like what that is. And then, you know, by the time you see that you're not, you're not super, you're not super concerned at the car. Like it, it's one, of I like, this is one of my favorite shots in, in the episode is when the, the Aztecs coming down the street, um, because of the way it's set up because that that the SUV's there but you don't really pay attention to it you know what I mean mm-hmm. and then and then when Walt sees it then you think oh well it must be important because I didn't notice it at first and it was right there the whole time so this must be something that's going to be really important and, and it is in the sense that of, of what it makes Walt think and what happened or whatever but it turns out yeah. that it was It wasn't, uh, you know, anything important. It was just.
0: Yeah. Well, we see Walt almost mirror what Jesse does when he mistakes the Mormons for for bikers, like, you know, peering out the window with Mm -hmm. with uh, with all this paranoia. Um, Actually, he's already looking out the window when he sees them come up and that's when he flips out and, and leaves the house. Uh, Jesse does. So I, I thought that was a, a fun little callback to seeing um, what happened to Jesse and what happens now to to Walt as you know, as shit gets real. You know, mm-hmm. uh, those those consequences are starting to to come. And uh, uh, something you you just mentioned about the the conversation that um, Hank and Gomi have as they're watching the surveillance video of of them robbing the chemical of warehouse or whatever where they get the methylamine from. Walt and Jesse do. And he makes that comment. So they got book smarts, but no, you know, street smart sort of thing. And that's something that we see play out really, obviously, in this episode. So like they're, you know, Walt knows how to process ricin into this like poison. But also even in the conversation when they're, I, it's one of my favorite scenes in in the episode, I already briefly talked about it. It's when Walt and Jesse are are in Jesse's house and they're Ah, uh, trying to figure out what they're going to do about this. and um, you know they they use the word conjecture. What is that conjecture um as they're and it's like again, that we've we've talked a lot about like Walt's empirical rational brain, and it's almost like he's going about this scientifically. It's like the scientific process or the scientific method, like the conjecture is the hypothesis. But you can't really Mm -hmm. wait around to test if your hypothesis is right when uh, the the stakes are so high, right? And the stakes being Mm -hmm. high being Tuco, who is crazy and will beat people to death with his fists because that's a thing he does, you know? And as you pointed out, right, like that could have easily have been Jesse uh, the first time he went there to try to, you know, uh, make a deal with him. And he actually liked no doughs. Yeah, yeah. no dos is actually his friend and we we see what uh-huh. he does to him. So you
1: He's know He's angry uh, at him. He's angry at him because he doesn't know how to take a beating. <laughs>
0: yeah. He starts beating the corpse. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: One other thing that I, I saw that it's kind of uh I should have mentioned this earlier, maybe, but it, they I you were talking about uh people getting hurt, and Gun getting hurt and everything else. Uh Raymond Cruz said that he he got an injury whenever they were filming all that. And when I when I was reading, I was thinking, well, well, was it when he was when he was punching the guy, or what? You know, like all these different things that he does. But it was the the boxing gloves that he wears around his neck. Mm-hmm. They have to weigh those down so that they, you know, that they always so they're heavier than a normal thing would be. And I guess he got whenever he was, you know, throwing the blows or whatever, it flipped up and hit him in the face, and it and it actually really messed him up for a, for a period of time. So he got knocked out by his own boxing gloves that, that Tuca wears there. Poetic justice. Yeah. Can we just uh, for a second, we were to mentioning like Hank and, and the other police officers, like their complete indifference to the human lives of criminals oh, yeah. is, is pretty, pretty crazy, huh?
0: Yeah, I mean I, that that definitely stood out to me when it's a joke to him. Like he's taking photos yeah. and laughing sure, when he's describing the he's scene. He's calling and him he wants Stumpy. Photo he said, "Make stumpy. sure you get the
1: stump in the, with it." You know.
0: Yeah, and that's such a stark contrast from what we see happens to Hank later when he faced with with again with the threat of death when he's um when when uh uh the the tortoise gets exploded right and how that mm-hmm. that causes pretty severe PTSD for him. So, but this sort of uh this it's 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 a cruel indifference, but also like a delight in it as well it's it's uh at such odds with what he actually ends up being you know so um you mentioned that you really liked how like this uh episode starts to flesh out hank a little bit and i mm. think that it's it really starts to set up like this uh, i mean we've already been introduced to him as this sort of like machismo hyper masculine guy very much like the the archetype stereotype of like a cop sort of sort of thing and mm-hmm. gallows humor right uh and uh you know that's something that that really gets gets challenged later on. So I think they set it up really well to, to show us that contrast later.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because they, uh, I, I'll, I'll talk about this a little bit more down the, uh, towards the end, but, um, they do some really good stuff with them here, but they, they also, I, I like how they balance it out a little bit with that, you know, just how they, they don't even see these people as human really, you know, because I think that's pretty true to, um, the situation as it exists you know what i mean
0: yeah and i mean we've we've already talked a little bit about how um the characters compartmentalize right uh so that's something we've been talking about certainly like how walt functions but it's also how hank functions and we talked a little bit about this when we were talking about um hugo the janitor at the high school and mm-hmm. how, like, he's not, he's he sees him as a criminal, but he's unable to, and when I say he, I mean Hank, Hank sees Hugo as a criminal and immediately pegs him as the guy that stole the, the glassware from the chemistry lab, where he cannot see what's right in front of his nose, right? That that it's his, his own brother-in-law.
1: Yeah, so, so making the ricin, not really a bad idea, huh?
0: No, I mean it's it's a it's a great idea and I love like again like uh how like he brings in like the the little bit of history about it. So like when he was describing thermite and like how thermite was used historically mm-hmm. and then um here he talks about like how like the KGB like put it on like the, the tip of an umbrella um to inject it in some guys' uh, leg. So it seems like the the very kind of thing that like someone like Walt would know, right? Like this is, mm-hmm. you know, this is his field of expertise, chemistry and learning about it. Um And uh, there there are several other points throughout the series where he has this like sort of gruesome knowledge about (laughs) how chemistry has been used, how science has been used. So, I mean, it is it is smart, right? Like this is his wheelhouse. This is his area of expertise. And we see it in the very first episode. Like he knows what will happen when um, he creates the phosphine gas in the RV that uh, ends up killing um, Emilio. Right. And uh, knocks Crazy Eight out.
1: Yeah, I I, I thought that one of the more, um, I I thought as far as like the big picture stuff, I thought that the, one of the more effective scenes here too, is whenever he, he, you know, whenever Jesse shows him the gun, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, we see Jesse buy the gun and then we show him and, and the way that he tries to break that down a little bit, like, okay, so what will you do? Pop, pop, pop. That's three shots. Right. And, you know, Jesse can't even open the gun. Um, you know, like it, it, it. in contrast to that, you know, to that plan, this is actually a really, a really good, um, a, a really well thought out plan. But at the same time, there's so many factors that they can't really control, you know, like they they need to have him actually take the thing, which shouldn't be that hard to do because he's a meth head and he enjoys their, their product or whatever. But like, you know, we'll see how that plays out in the, in the next, you know, <laughs> next yeah. uh, couple of episodes well,
0: it's it's even foreshadowed in this one, right? So like um cuz they're they're as they're planning it out how they're going to get it to him um at this point like this is obviously before they get kidnapped by him and uh you know driven um out to uh that house in the middle of nowhere. Uh the the idea is that they're going to make one last deal with him and say that it's a new uh like a new formula or something that they have and because he likes to sample the the, the product that's how they'll mm-hmm. get him to snort it. Um, and Jesse's like, well, what's new about it? What are we going to say? So Jesse's like thinking strategically, like, let's have a plan for how to proceed when this happens. And Walt very foolishly says, it doesn't matter, make up whatever you want. And then, of course, we do see later when Jesse tries <laughs> to get him to take it, he says, oh, it's got chili pea in it, you know, so uh it's it's a fun little callback uh to several different moments throughout the series uh so the when they first meet and jesse's like you know trying to tell him how to make meth and he's like i actually pee it's my signature and he's like yeah no we're not doing that anymore so um i Uh again talked about like the attention to to detail that the, the, the the care that the writers take to to make these little callbacks and um Again, very very rewarding as a viewer to to uh, to engage with the material on this kind of level.
1: Yeah i i like the i like the use of we'll just put a pin in that then um, yeah <laughs> the way that they the way that Jesse adopted it by the end of the episode too to um you know showing that you know obviously you know Walt takes control and and he's the one he sees it like as he's the one who has all the best ideas but. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty obvious omission, like, you know, to what not to not have it figured out and to leave that part up to chance, which, you know, like you just mentioned, goes wrong anyway. Yeah. And, you know?
0: and, uh, the, the, let's put a pin in that again, um, rhetorically is something that they've been playing with. So there's the, so there's that line, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, again, I don't know that I was really conscious of these things watching the series before, um, as I am now, like, they, they do that. Really frequently and almost like every episode, uh, there's that like back and forth banter between uh-huh. them, and it's uh, some of the best dialogue I think. Not just yeah. in the series, but like in any TV show, the the dialogue between Walt and Jesse is so good. It's really fun to go back and and rewatch it. It's still funny, yeah. you know. It still holds up. It still make, it still makes me laugh.
1: Yeah, it's funny because you know so much of what is iconic, like as far as like the things that you see over and over again and the memes and everything else, like all the big. Walt lines and stuff. It, it it almost becomes like you know played out. Like you don't really. It it loses some of its thing because you've heard it so many times. But when I'm when I'm rewatching the series, a lot of the stuff that Jesse says is what really really hits me as like, man, that's just super brilliant the way <laughs> yeah. that they did that. I know?
0: know it's so funny
1: because it's because it's silly. You know, you know it's silly the first time, I guess. You know, but but like yeah, it's it's really amazing stuff that they do yeah. with that.
0: Don't forget your pants. We'll be back after this short break. Fire up the RV. We're back with more growth decay transformation. This is probably a good time to transition to favorite line and favorite shot. Um, Yeah. So we've already talked a lot about... You go first, I think. Yeah, yeah. So we've already talked a lot about some of of our favorite lines and stuff like that. But since we're talking about this humor between Walt and Jesse, um, again, I always have a hard time picking just one so i love that whole conversation that they have in the kitchen when they're trying to figure out what they're gonna do <laughs> and there's we just two gonna grow a magic
1: beanstalk
0: <laughs> yes you're stealing my line from me pete yes that's <laughs> that's exactly it so um when uh well first when he's talking about ricin and jesse's like rice and beans like like as yeah. in like the food i thought just cracks me up every single time and he's like what are yeah. we gonna do grow you know grow magic beanstalk and just like climb it and escape. So I was between those two lines. I just, I thought they were hilarious. So uh, what about you? What was, what was your favorite line in this one?
1: Yeah. I, I I went a different way. Like as far as Jesse and like, I figured that, um, that this would be that, you know, we'd probably pull something from this. And the, the one that the one thing from there that stuck out with me on the first one was the, um, what does he say? I, I have it in my notes here somewhere. Want well, me to take oh. a look
0: at that utility closet?
1: Well, that's the that's my favorite line, but that but the one that really jumped out to me that that I wrote down that I that I thought was hilarious was he says, Don't we double our chances? I mean mathematically, you know, like he <laughs> yeah. adds that at the end. <laughs> like the obvious well, thing, getting like, two
0: guns, yeah. Like you yeah, get a yeah. gun.
1: <laughs> yeah. But um the the one that i ended up picking as my favorite line was hank he says you want me to take a look at that utility closet and and it's the whole thing of like you know obviously she 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 lays out her whole gripe with with marie and and how you know she's she still manages to be the tries to be the center of attention whenever there's obviously serious things going on in Skyler's life you know you can understand mm-hmm. the slight that that she she's perceiving and how she's reacting to it in a way right like it makes sense and um you know the first part about that thing with Hank was that really awkward hug that he he gives her. Like you know what I mean? He's like he like you know, reaches his arms pat. out yeah. and and then he <laughs> just gives her like little t- like he can't embrace her at all. Like he you know he he wants to do something but he he can't figure it out and then so he just defaults to what she said was about how the uh the um the water, the heater, water heater was yeah. was messing up their utility closet and um man I just that was just like kind of the first moment I think where I really, really enjoyed Hank as a character, you know what I mean? Like where all that weirdness of his, of, of, of his, uh, you know, his attitude and the way that he, he comes off or whatever, like it pays off in such an, an interesting way there because it's like, you know, that's, you know, like what else can he do there? He, like, he doesn't, he doesn't really have any skills to, to navigate that. So he just sort of goes back to what, what he's, you know, what he knows yeah well whatever. it's
0: i i love that moment and um when, when i was trying to think of favorite shots that one occurred to me because it's just so funny the humor in that particular scene so first when like he sits down in the rocking chair and then um, yeah. He's like, why don't we sit down? And she's like, well, I don't know, Hank. Is this going to be about Marie? And then he stands right back up.
1: <laughs> yeah, that is it's so, so uncomfortable. Funny. That's and that yeah. wasn't
0: uh that wasn't in the script. That was actually um Bryan Cranston's decision as a, as a director. So that was a, a directorial choice, which I thought was really good. And I love I love the scene that you're talking about where he's like, do you want me to take a look at that utility closet and that awkward hug? But again, it's like. When you when you think of Skylar and everything she's been through, it's such a great rant. Um, mm-hmm. I love the the little monologue she has there when she's, you know, really putting into perspective like what is going on in her life. And of course, she doesn't include the fact that her husband tried to rape her earlier. Yeah. Um, you know, so like that that part's left out. But again, that juxtaposition of the two the two moments where the men in her life are are physical with her, one is violent. Right. Um, that scene uh. in the kitchen. And then there's this this really uh tender one where he wants to comfort but doesn't know how. So again, thinking of like communication and, and in this case like a, a physical expression of like wanting to comfort, wanting comfort. Uh in in the case of Walt and uh and and Hank here, um again it it really I think nice nicely juxtaposes those two characters too, specifically Walt and Hank and and um how they, they treat the women in their lives. Yeah, uh, I and, thought was, was really interesting.
1: And what I, what I was just thinking about too, when you're talking about that, you know, that, that, that communication, like what she, what her rant boils down to is that she has real things problems. going on yeah, and, and that, that those are more high stakes than what's going on with Marie. Right. Like, yeah. obviously Marie's got problems, like, you know, she's stealing stuff and she can't stop. There's obviously some, some kind of compulsion going on there. And like, it's a real problem, but in, in comparison to what's going on from Skylar's point of view, not knowing the whole picture, right. Um, Mm -hmm. it doesn't, it doesn't add up. And, and it, and what's really interesting about that to me is that's the same thing that Walt will consistently do because, as we see in this episode, his stakes are life and death in the way that he sees them. Right. So even though like Skylar has a great point and everything that she's saying makes sense. I mean, I, I thought like, you know, if you think about that, that moment here, when they actually start to, before the car pulls up, you know, before the, before he gets the call and he ignores Jesse's call. And then he sees the headlights, you know, where he starts to break down and he, he, he looks like he might actually, explain what's actually going on right you yeah. know you that the whole thing of that is like when you think about her whenever she she's sitting in the in the bathtub and so from her point of view she's like you know i i, I can't i don't i'm not sure i can continue with this because all of this stuff is going on all the stuff that she laid out to hank is going on and she also has this situation where her husband keeps leaving and not explaining where he's at and she has no idea what's going on right and um so that scene where she says where she's talking to him and she doesn't realize he left you know and she's just in the yeah. bathtub like going on with the thing like it's kind of heartbreaking in a way you know because it is
0: it's very heartbreaking because you know, again like, she doesn't have all the context that w- that we do yeah right? she just what would you think in her in her shoes or in her bathtub
1: Right. Uh, That's the, that's what's, that's the, the setup of it is what's so heartbreaking is that like he, her husband is, has made these choices and he's doing these things and in his mind, he's, he, he has to, he, there's no way to, to, to step out of it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And just the way that she's internalizing that because of not having all the information is, is really, um, you know, it's gripping uh, as far as television goes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and before we transition now into talking about our our favorite shots, just one thing I wanted to point out that, again, misdirection, because we we talked a little bit about that earlier, when she is sitting in the nursery, right, looking at the photos of uh, Beneke, and then Uh um, Hank walks by and taps on the window, like, I was trying to, like... Imagine like I remember even like what did I think that first time because like you know like there's this threat of Tuco lurking around and you're like oh my gosh right so it really puts you into Walt's headspace who's paranoid who is going to be coming home now and like trying to collect his family sort of thing when he walks in and he's all nervous like calling out for Skylar. And and Walter Jr. Right, so um, man, it was a really a, a frightening moment <laughs> to to watch that. I, I forgot how much that um, that actually did did jolt me. And I'm like, oh, Vince Gilligan! I shake my uh-huh. fist at you. You know, that was a good one. That was a good one again. Like the building up that sort of uh, suspense. And um, I, I have uh, not that I never lacked empathy for Skylar, but the the more I rewatch this series, the more empathy I actually. I think I have for her. I'm like this poor woman. I just, yeah, ugh, it's terrible.
1: Yeah. It, it becomes pretty obvious later, you know, like just, just how, how her, like the power situation, like the, the, the way that she has no power and the way that she tries to take the power back, you know what I mean? But, yeah these these earlier scenes like I said that bathtub one that really hit hard this time, you know what I mean because she's you know she's she's not perfect, obviously she's got her own issues and everything else, like all people do but she's she's trying to to work it out, you know what I mean like yeah. she has she's you know she's like she's trying to find a sensible way for them to to move past it because you know she wants to be there, she wants to see him get better, she wants to have this child together that, that they weren't expecting. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot going on there that, um, you know, you, because you're so, because Walt has so much gravity that pulls you in that you, that you don't really see. And like I said, I think that this, they do get a little bit of her point of view here. Uh, yeah, you definitely do.
0: Time. You definitely do. And I really appreciate it and rewatching it and, um, again, noticing that this is where we're first introduced to the concept of Ted. We don't know who Ted is or his name mm-hmm. even or what their relationship is, but we see her going through these photos with him. And um, then right after that, immediately right after she's looking at these photos of him is when she has this rant to Hank about like everything that's wrong in her own life. So it really, I think, adds a lot of context to her frame of mind and where she is at this moment and how she's feeling. So she's... Uh, she's in the dark in, in so many ways, right? Like, she has no idea what's going on with her husband. Um, he just tried to, like, physically, like, assault her. Uh, you know, like, her life is kind of falling apart, and so it it makes sense that she would be, looking at something that that may be happier memories or wanting to remind herself of better times right so i don't think yeah. she miss, it's a whole stack of photos that she's looking at so presumably there are like vacation photos happier moments in there too i don't imagine mm-hmm. all those photos are just of ted beneke no, right but she comes to that that specific, wasn't my
1: impression no.
0: yeah yeah so i got the idea that she's looking through old photos and then she finds this photo of him and it makes her smile you know like there's this uh-huh. moment where she's remembering a happier moment in her life and that is, again, juxtaposed against the current situation, which is pretty horrific, uh, objectively horrific, where she mm-hmm. is at right now.
1: So, yeah, what what do you got for a for, for favorite shot?
0: Yeah, for favorite shot, um, I already mentioned uh, the Hank getting um, up and uh, sitting down in the, the rocking chair. I love that moment, but I think it comes right at the very beginning. So after uh, Tuco comes back, into the junkyard with no dose convulsing. And uh, after, you know, they've realized he's dead, there's nothing more they can do. And he tells, uh, Tuco tells Gonzo to dispose of the body. Walt and jesse exchange a look right they just like look sideways at each other and then i love the shot of them because like the camera stays still but then you see them slowly step back out of frame and i I just really love that yeah i
1: caught i caught that that this time watching it too and it is it's 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 really brief but it's a it's really good it's a great shot of them sliding away like that (laughs) i mean he calls them out tuco calls them out but you could totally you know see that and not really catch the idea of like how that they, they they showed them sort of they sort of look at each other right and then they just mm-hmm. sort of like okay now it's time to to get out of here because this yeah, guy is slowly crazy. Re- slowly yeah.
0: recede from this situation. <laughs> yeah, he goes, what's that. the big rush? Yeah.
1: Yeah, so. that's a great one. Um yeah, I mentioned that I like that uh the shot of the aztec pulling into the driveway just sort of the way the sound was set up and everything else but the one it's kind of cheating, I guess, because it's two shots, but it's two shots that are that are the same. They're like if you I think the first one is when you see um, Skylar come out of the bedroom and she doesn't know where Walt is. She hears someone come inside. Right. And mm-hmm. so she goes and she's walking. And they, the thing that jumped out to me about it was that they they, they shoot it from this low angle, like where the, the, um, the camera's almost like down on the carpet and you see the hallway. And it and it reminded me of like you know the typical kind of um, horror horror movie kind of thing you know what I mean like it's just this weird this weird angle from down low and um, then yeah it you really see it heightens
0: late. the suspense and tension yeah
1: yeah that well yeah the first time I just saw it and I thought well that's a cool cool thing you know just kind of look at it from a different way but then then when you see Walt come into the house later and he comes down the same hall they do it again. Yeah, and then I really started to think about like, wow, that's a that's a is an interesting way to set up the shot because it makes it it makes them you know, it, it emphasizes just how vulnerable they are. And that feeling that you have when you go into a house, you know, what I mean, like where you don't know what's happening. You think some, you know, you, th- you heard a sound or something like that. And so you're you're sort of hyper aware of your surroundings, you know, and you're walking down the hallway thinking that something might be around the corner. And the way yeah. that both of those played out, you know, like she, when she gets there, she finds Walt. He's basically like spacing out, looking at the TV. And whenever he gets to where he's going, he finds her. She's in the, the, bathtub. the bathtub with all the uh, candles around. So I, I really like that. Those almost as bookends, you know, to the way that the episode opened and ended. Yeah, good sh- Good.
0: Sh- choices very good choices maybe we should uh, we should probably change this section to favorite lines and favorite shots since uh we have such a hard time uh narrow, yeah, narrowing it down and it's a good opportunity to talk about other moments in the yeah the, uh, episode it's fun really to have like.
1: the ideal of yeah. maybe getting to just one but i mean you know i, I think I that most people that? who who are re-watching <laughs> this with us you know what i mean they probably are are they, they they they're probably not watching it for the second time you know they probably have been re-watching it before so I think people will probably be able to, to understand our, um, you know, discovery of all these things that are just so much fun to talk about. You know, I wanted to, before we, before we close it, I did want to mention the fact that, you know, Brian Cranston, he directed the episode and, um, you wouldn't be able to tell, you know, I mean, like he's, he's not someone who was known for that. I don't think before this, you know, and so, uh it, it's pretty interesting like you mentioned it earlier about the teaser i was wondering if he shot the teaser too because since it spreads over multiple episodes i, I wondered if they if they had each um director do it but i guess that's true you said that right that he was talking yeah about yeah he did he shots. did
0: um he he was there for the 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 teaser and um he didn't get into the pool himself to to film that obviously but uh, Mm -hmm. they did have a scuba team and and everything so it was yeah if you watch if anyone out there is interested if you um wanted to see the commentary on the episode brian talks a lot about his experiences uh as a director and one of just again just to to pick up on what you were talking about pete i think one of the interesting things about this episode is there aren't any like really significant shots or like really big action shots or anything like that but uh it is a very well directed episode and you wouldn't necessarily think like this guy like whoever directed this doesn't know what they're doing it's not an amateur but i think something that that you and i both uh maybe picked up on maybe um subconsciously when picking our favorite shots is how character driven those shots are right yeah and how those uh shots that that each of us chose are telling us um something about like how the characters are thinking and feeling um you know more so than just being like a really cool artistic you know framing or or something like that it really is yeah. character driven and that perhaps makes sense since this is an actor and it's an actor's point of view
1: well, yeah, I think that that is something that you see, like, you know, he, all the other directors, as we've looked at this throughout and, in, you know, to see how they, people come in, they're all coming in as hired guns, really. You know what I mean? None of them are on staff. I mean, uh, Michelle McLaren has a executive producer, um, credit later on and stuff like that. You know what I mean? But like in the, in the beginning, you know, you have, you have the showrunner and, and they hire these people to come in and. Um, you know, the director of the ph- photography stays the same throughout the season. Like that, that's one of the things that, that changed here is that they, there was a new, uh, DP, uh, Michael Slovis, who does the, the rest of the series. Um, but yeah, like, you know, that stuff's consistent, but the the actual director is, is someone who comes in and. That it's an interesting thing that you know Brian using Brian Cranston here. He's someone that, as an actor, as a lead in the show, he has to know what all the different characters, you know, are thinking from episode to episode. So he's he's a lot more tuned into what what's actually happening in between, as far as their their individual characteristics than most of the people. So yeah, I thought it was funny whenever I listened to the Insider podcast. Like Vince kind of made a a comment about like. Whenever your actors want to come and and do this, you kind of think, oh, well, you know, like it's, you know, it's it's a dangerous proposition maybe because if they're not that much, they don't have that much experience. But yeah, I think it it really worked out well here. And um,
0: especially for a season premiere, you know, of a brand new show. Um, yeah and I, and I think
1: that I think you're dead on with that idea that it's you know coming from the from a an actor, at least some of the time that really makes a lot of sense because they can uh they can really they can really craft what's happening behind the camera in relation to what the characters are going through.
0: All right. Well, we could keep going on forever, but uh, for the interest of time, we're going to wrap it up here. And uh, if you enjoyed this episode, uh, please be sure to follow our podcast and hit that bell for notifications. And as always, please rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, those of you who wish to support GDT can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash growth decay transformation. And thank you to all of our Patreons. So we, we uh, gained a few new ones over our little hiatus here. And uh, we very, very much appreciate you. And to um, all of the listeners who reached out to us either on Twitter or uh, at our uh, our email, uh, which is Breaking Bad at, uh, breakingbadgdt at gmail.com. Um, we really uh, appreciate hearing from you. And for those of you that didn't know where we went, why aren't you following us on Twitter? You would have known. You would have yeah. known. So follow <laughs> us on on Twitter at Breaking Bad GDT.
1: You can find producer Talitha's Instagram at Talitha underscore makes underscore things. Talitha makes things. Um, we want to thank you guys for listening. Sorry about that short break. That probably won't happen again. Uh, we were still getting things together about how we can uh you know we're we're obviously in different places and we have to schedule and it's not always easy based on all the other stuff and work that we do Uh, i just want to say again thank you for those of you who are uh contributing and who are you know supporting us on patreon patreon that really helps out and we hope that you'll join us next week when we'll be discussing season two episode two which is titled grilled